John's Gospel. <clears throat> and uh, you can kind of lose track when you just go through a book chapter by chapter. And the Bible Project has these amazing summaries. And we're going to watch one of the summaries, the beginning first four chapters of uh, the Gospel of John, before we hear the reading. The Gospel According to John. It's one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life, and we learn at the end of the book that it comes from one of Jesus' closest followers called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, he appears many times in the story itself, and there's some debate about whether it's John the son of Zebedee, one of the twelve, or a different John who lived in Jerusalem and was known in the later church as John the Elder. Whichever John it was, the book embodies his eyewitness testimony, and it's been brilliantly designed with a clear purpose that he states near the end. John says, the story is written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in his name. John believes that the Jesus you read about in this book is alive and real and that he can change your life forever. The book's design is really cool. Its first half opens with an introductory poem and a short story that's followed by then a big block of stories about Jesus performing miraculous signs that generate increasing controversy. And it all culminates in his greatest sign, the raising of Lazarus, which creates the greatest controversy as Israel's leaders decide to kill Jesus. And that launches into the book's second half. These chapters focus on Jesus' final night and last words to his disciples, which are followed by his arrest, trial, death, and resurrection. The book concludes with an epilogue. In this video, we're just going to focus on the first half. So the book opens with a two-part introduction. First, a poem that begins, in the beginning, was the Word, an obvious allusion to Genesis 1, when God created everything with his Word. Now, a person's words, they're distinct from that person, but they're also the embodiment of that person's mind and will. And so John says that God's Word was with God, that is distinct. And yet the word was God, that is divine. And as we ponder this claim, we hear later in the poem that this divine word became human in Jesus. Then John goes on to draw from the stories of Exodus, saying that Jesus was God's tabernacle in our midst. The glorious divine presence that hovered over the Ark of the Covenant became a human in Jesus. Which leads to his last claim, that the one true God of Israel consists of God the Father and the Son, who has become human to reveal the Father to us. Now, as we consider these mind-bending claims, we then start to hear a story about how John the Baptist first met Jesus and then led other people to meet him and become his disciples. And one by one, as people encounter Jesus, they say out loud who they think he is. And in this one chapter, Jesus is given seven titles. Now, these titles prepare us for John's love of sevens in designing the book, but altogether they also make a claim that this fully human Jesus from Nazareth is the messianic king, he's the teacher of Israel, and he's the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. Now that's a big claim to make about someone, and John will now go on to support it through the stories in chapters 2 through 12. They all have the same basic pattern. Jesus will perform a sign or make a claim about himself, and that will result in misunderstanding or controversy. And so in the end of each story, people are forced to make a choice about who they think Jesus is. The first section shows Jesus encountering four classic Jewish institutions. And in each case, Jesus shows that he is the reality to which that institution pointed. So Jesus is at a wedding party and the wine runs out. 
And Jesus then turns these huge jugs of water, like 120 gallons total, into the best wine ever. And the head waiter says to the groom, you've saved the best wine for last. Which is, of course, true. But John also calls this miracle Jesus' first sign. In other words, it's a symbol that reveals something about Jesus. So just as Isaiah said that the Messianic kingdom would be like this huge party with lots of good wine, so this first miraculous sign reveals the generosity of Jesus' kingdom. Next, Jesus goes to the Jerusalem temple, the place where heaven and earth were supposed to come together and God would meet with his people. And Jesus asserts his authority over it, running out all the money exchangers, stopping the sacrificial offerings. And when the temple leaders threaten him, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Jesus is claiming that his coming sacrificial death is where heaven and earth will truly meet together. His body that will be killed is the reality to which the temple building points. Then Jesus has this all-night conversation with a rabbi named Nicodemus, who thinks that Jesus is just like him, another rabbi and teacher for Israel. But Jesus says that Israel needs much more than just another teacher with new information. Israel needs a new heart and a new life. Or, in his words, no one can experience God's kingdom without being born again. Jesus believes that humans are caught in a web of selfishness and sin that leads to death. But he also knows that God loves this world. And so he's here to offer people a new birth, a new chance at life. From here, Jesus travels north and he ends up at a sacred well in a conversation with a Samaritan, that is a non-Jewish woman. And they start talking about water, which Jesus turns into a metaphor for himself. He says he's here to bring living water that can become a source of eternal life. Now in John, this term refers to a new quality of life, one that's infused with God's eternal love, and it's a life that can begin now and last on into the future. Now that we heard the broad overview, and I think that's really important and it helps us to kind of sort and understand the structure of a book. Yes, it is a, it's a book we are reading. So, and now we zoom in into the story itself. And we're going to read it like the conversation. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born again. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell from where it comes or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? You are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and what we testify to what we have seen. 
But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Amen. Amen. Praise be to God for his word. A challenging question. How then will you believe when I speak of heavenly things? Now, we've heard in the recap video that John tells us these stories about Jesus because he is convinced that Jesus was truly what he claimed to be. Fully man and fully God. And John uses Jesus' encounters to highlight what the claims entails, what that actually means. And he writes them down as a testimony to us. And the church historian, um, Walter Nick, he's a German church historian, uh, he speaks or identifies that, you know, each gospel comes with a symbol. And the symbol for John's gospel is the eagle. A gospel that offers a majestic bird's eye perspective on Jesus' life to help the reader to ascend to the same. And he contemplates that John invites us to experience a personal ascension, similar to Jesus' ascension, that we, by reading his gospel, experience ascension through these encounters Jesus has with ordinary women and ordinary men. And so it is very fitful, actually, that we approach John's gospel in contemplation, following that invitation that John puts out there. Now, the meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus can be experienced in three parts, I believe. And each part will deepen our reflection and our understanding of God's wisdom and what God offers us here. I will introduce each part with some thoughts and conclude each part with a question. So basically throwing the ball back to you. And for some people, I know, it is home play to be just sitting with a piece of scripture. And for some, it is challenging, and that is absolutely okay. If you feel challenged by this, I want to dare you, however, to step beyond that moment of discomfort and just go with it today. Let your mind wander listening into the words, for there is where the Spirit moves. The Holy Spirit is in the listening. Or in Jesus' words, the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You, can re- you can't really tell where it comes from or where it goes. And ascending like an eagle means learning to be carried by this wind. 
Now, if you have a Bible, you can uh, turn with me to John 3, and we go through it part by part. Part 1, the coming together. Now, we just heard that uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but he was actually not just some or any Pharisee, but a part of the Jewish ruling council. So that means he was responsible to keeping Jewish religious teachings intact, in balance with laws enforced by the Roman oppressors. So he was truly a person of authority. Yes? So he was a teacher, but also in some way a judge, a legal attorney, if you will. In, in, in the society back then, these rules were not just for a small community, church community perhaps, but these were the social guidelines for communal living. So Nicodemus was truly a person of authority, holding responsibility in civil and religious matters. And Jewish people would look at Nicodemus that way. They would go to him to ask for advice. And this Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night. And the timing suggests, I'm sure you can guess it, that Nicodemus is not perhaps at liberty to encounter Jesus privately in this way. It is a secret meeting. But for what purpose exactly? Have you noticed that Nicodemus doesn't open up with a question? He's not going to Jesus with a specific need. He's not asking for healing for X, Y, Z. He actually just comes and sells out the Jewish council what they're actually thinking of Jesus. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. No one can do what you do if God was not with him. That was, that's, that's, he sells them out. And himself, he, commi- he communicates his commitment. We know, I know you are this. Humbly, he acknowledges what Jesus is. That this Jesus, although he himself is a teacher as well, one with authority, and he knows this, This person he is going to and talking to is more than oneself, is more than himself. I know you are dot, dot, dot. How would you continue this sentence? Imagine yourself in a room meeting Jesus, in the quietness of the night, perhaps, How would you open up your conversation with him? Take a moment. Put yourself in that conversation. I know you are. Nicodemus steps into a new role. This is part two, from teacher to student. And as they're talking, his mind gets boggled. 
Have you seen the movie Dead, uh, Dead, uh, Dead Poet Society? Have you watched that one? Fantastic movie, yeah? Okay, so it's about a group of students whose mind get expanded and boggled by a teacher who takes them beyond than the school rule book, if you will. Yeah, they, they really mature and get reintroduced in the beauty of uh, poetry. And there's this one scene where the teacher, Robin William, asks his students to rip out the introduction of their school book. You know, and, and that was 30 years ago. So you had kind of, you know, when you have, you have a sense of awe for these school books. And he just asked them to rip out that introduction. And they are baffled, astonished, unsure how to behave. And the very same happens to Nicodemus. In this encounter, he realized that there is something going on that is beyond. Baffled, astonished, unsure. He becomes a student again, but he is also willingly stepping into that space. How can someone be born again? And perhaps even a bit cheekily, he says, well, they can't crawl up into the womb again and be born again. How is it possible? What are you saying, Jesus? What do you mean the spirit is like the wind? Jesus is so cryptic. And somehow on a completely different level. Yes, he, it's like Nicodemus talks on this level and Jesus somehow a bit on a different zone. Surely we can identify with that. I know I can. Um, thankfully, there are books that help us. But also the quietness that helps us. What does that mean when Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit because someone born of the spirit is like the wind you cannot tell where she or he is coming from or going now the wind carries seeds fragrance and weather Yes, it has power. We use that power for energy, thankfully more and more so. But it's not domestic, yes, it's wild. And it's absolutely responsible for its surroundings. Now what do you think in that image What could the seeds, the fragrance and weather stand for? Just stay with that image. Is it the word of God? God's promises or love? Can you remember a time in which you have been inspired or inspiring other people? What have you learned or passed on? about the kingdom of God.
part three, listening. We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, says Jesus. Now, like Nicodemus, we are in that conversation with Jesus. We are reflecting on what we know and see. And like Nicodemus, now it is time to listen. Nicodemus wants to learn, so he ascends slowly in God's wisdom by listening to Jesus' words. And Nicodemus is addressed as who he is, the teacher and the attorney. And so I'm going to read this next part of scripture, which we have left out so far. In what is Jesus addressing you, who you are? I'm going to read it twice and invite you to just cling on to that one word or that one phrase. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The practical theologian Courtney Goto invites us to receive our knowledge as much as our ignorance. It's a wonderful paper she writes on that. Uh, because she points out how much we actually depend on each other to grow in what God wisdom has to offer us. And so I want to invite you to actually now, there's a goal here that we've been spending so much time with this piece of scripture, that you turn to each other and just share what has been standing out to you from this piece of scripture. What Jesus reveals about himself is this. Jesus is God's one and only Son and Son of humankind. He is more than a prophet. The saving grace the prophets look to 
Jesus is God's love manifested. And in the wisdom of God's spirit, he moves us in unknown ways and places. So let us take time to respond to Jesus in prayer now.